actually I'm um, quite morbid about it. I think we've tipped over already and we're on the downward slide. Um, I can't see how we're going to come back from it. That's Maripna bird enthusiast Don Roberts talking about birds and climate change. First, we'll have some formalities and then we'll listen to our conversation with Don Roberts. Welcome to this latest episode of Climate Conversations. I'm your host, Robert McLean. It's so great to have you on board. Climate Conversations is assembled here in Shepparton, in Northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people. I pay my respects to elders, past, present and emerging. This podcast is proudly associated with the Mark Spencer published Climactic Collective. The collective can be found at climactic.fm. Music for this podcast comes courtesy of the Melbourne-based group Music for a Warming World, and you can find a link for that group in the show notes. I trust you'll enjoy this episode of Climate Conversations, and should that be the case, please feel free to share it with your friends. The climate crisis is so serious it needs your undivided attention, and so your attention would be appreciated for this podcast. brief outline of your background in birding? Well, I started uh, when I was 17, so in 1967, and um, I was always interested in birds. What sort of triggered me was uh, a book came out by Robin Hill, and it was on this day tonight with Bill Peach, and... uh, I said, um, Mum, oh, that, that looks like a fantastic book. I wouldn't mind that for Christmas. So I got it for Christmas in 1967. And um, I was hooked from there on. But I do remember when I went to the Shepherd High School, they had a library which none of the primary schools I went to had. And I was always looking at bird books in the library. So I had that inclination towards birds. So. Mm. and this book by Robin Hill sort of triggered it. Do you still have the book? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> and um, I got hold of some old binoculars that were my uncle's and went down around Gemmell Swamp one afternoon and one of the first birds I saw was a rainbow bee eater. And I thought, well, this is pretty good. All the birds are colourful and spectacular <laughs> as these. Um I was hooked from now on, so I've kept notes from 1967 onwards. We lost contact for a moment, but Don was talking about the fact that most of his records are now on computer. Uh, Particularly on eBird, and not so much on bird data, which is BirdLife Australia's site, because it's so tedious to put stuff on, whereas eBird is just brilliant. And it's run by Cornell University in America. So, um, is an eBird, Cornell University in America. Yeah, so I can have a look at that, can't I, eBird? Yeah, just Google eBird Australia, because each country's got their own site. Or 
you can e-bird the world. If you were doing it, I would go for e-bird Australia. I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll do that. That'll be great. And they've got some um, still photos, sounds, and recently they've upgraded their movie section because the world-renowned um, movie producer on Birds donated his whole collection to their library. So wow. I think it's called Macaulay Library, but it's part of the Cornell University in America. So. so, Don, birds have been a part of your life, well, forever, pretty much. Well, yeah, I'm coming up for 72, so 55 years, yeah. So what did you, what did you do? I worked at Australia Post. Oh, okay. 42 years, besides six months at the Ardmona Academy when I left school, like a lot of kids either went fruit picking or tomato picking or, or um, got jobs at the Canary. 42 years, that's pretty impressive. You don't see that much anymore, do you? A person who went one job for 42 years. Don, tell me how you feel about climate change. Oh, actually, I'm um, quite morbid about it. I think we've tipped over already and we're on a downwards slide. Um, I can't see how we're going to come back from it, actually. So. Tell me about birds and heat, Don. Well, um, I used to bird band at Rushworth as a volunteer for CSIRO and then um, Australian National Parks and Wildlife Service. And we noticed after the 82-83 drought that the birds were decimated at Rushworth and still haven't recovered. So that was the first inkling that I got that we were in real trouble. And then... How long ago was that done? That was 82, 83. It was a very severe drought. Probably all of southern Australia was in it. And, um, yeah, we, we went from having good catches from about 1968 onwards, uh, reasonable catches of birds, and then from 82, 83 onwards, even though the drought broke in 83, I think it was, um, the birds never recovered and still haven't recovered. So that was the first inkling I had that we were in trouble. So what examples of birds have you seen suffering from the heat? Oh, little birds, once it gets about 40, 41, they're pretty stressed. Uh, I put a fine mist on out in the garden when it gets like that and the birds just come in and droves in my backyard. My backyard, mind you, uh, is adjacent to Gemmell Swamp, so the birds are there anyway. I was going to ask you about what people can do to help our bird life endure increasing temperatures, so... You're suggesting things like misters in the backyard. Yeah, mist in the backyard near a bird bath or something like that, where they're used to coming into. Uh, goes against Golden Valley waters <laughs> restrictions, <laughs> mind you. But <laughs> yeah. um, I, don't, I think that'd be pretty tough if you're possibly having mm. water going when you're not supposed to. But, um, yeah, providing clean water daily in the summer and cool. Yeah, I reckon once the heat gets to 42, 43, a lot of the little birds will be in trouble. 
probably die. I don't think there's been much study really on on that, but there has been um, incidents reported in northern Australia, particularly in uh, Pilbara and that area where birds have just died. Connection problems continued and we tried to rectify it, and so hopefully it's better now. Don, have you seen changes in nesting patterns because of the heat? Um, that's hard to quantify. Um, there was a guy who lived at Rochester and his whole life was recording nests and they're on the BirdLife Australia's database and he was rather disturbed from that 82, 83 period onwards that he was having difficulty finding nests and I suppose it makes sense because if the birds are not there, they're not going to nest, are they? So, mm, that's true, yeah. Um, mm. it's, all, it's all leading to, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, doom and gloom. And those, mm. that article I sent to you, yeah. Was, yeah. was it seven or eight birds no longer at Gemmels? Mm. Well, they haven't returned and they'll never return. Uh, climate, cha- climate change is just decimating. Not just birds, insects. The whole Certainly, lot. insects. I've noticed you don't get near as many on your windscreen anymore. So, years ago, if you drove across the causeway between Chapman and Rootman, if you had a wet night, the whole causeway was just a sea of frogs. Mm. Hundreds mm. and hundreds of them would have been run over here. And even our street here, Gemmell Crescent, where I live, uh, on a wet night, to be hundreds and hundreds of frogs on the road. Mm. Don't see that anymore. Mm. So the whole, the whole ecosystem's going back. Do we do we have any specific bird species in northern Victoria which are sensitive to heat? I would say every species sensitive to heat once it gets over 41, 42. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think there's any that um, specifically would die. Um, they are mm. saying some of the higher country birds in the summer, like flame robins, go back to the mountains to uh, breed. They'll be in trouble. And some of the um, higher Atherton tablelands birds, uh, they'll think they'll, um, they'll be very lucky to survive. So is, is it, are birds migrating, do you think? Are they moving to another part of the world to live, or what's happening there? Not really. We've got our resident species, which are here all year round, obviously. And you've got your summer migrants, uh, your winter migrants, which are generally altitudinal migrants, birds that come down from the higher uh, country or the wetter forests. So we get like the robins, for example. Some of the whistlers do that. And then the fourth category I class here at Gemmels is the the wetland birds, well, you only got them here when there's water. Yeah. So um, now with the lack of water compared to back when I was a teenager, um, the, between the causeway, between Chet and Rootman, those flats there are often flooded because I went to Shep High because there's no school here. So I used to see that flooded a lot. How often do you see that flooded now? Yeah, that's true, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that's true, yeah, so I agree with that, yeah. The lack of water 
for the water birds. And, um, yeah, it's, it's not a pretty picture. You take you talk to U3A, is that correct? Uh, U3A uh, bird group is run by me and Mark Clark. We go out okay. um, mm. monthly and generally just morning walks. Sometimes I might, in the spring, I'll take them for a day trip to Rushworth or Warby Ranges. Uh, we've been over to um, Terek Terek National Park once. Mm. Over near Mitiamo, have you been there? Oh, I'm, I come from Mitiuga, so I've been it that way a bit, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's pretty special, that forest. Um, yeah, but generally just morning, usually concentrating along the Goulburn somewhere. Is there still a keen interest in birds? Um, well, Murray Goulburn Bird Life Club, which meets uh, monthly also, you get between 20 and 30 people at each outing, uh, pretty uh, widespread. Like yeah. we've got members at Seymour, Alexandra, Vanilla, uh, Tokemore, Kyabram, and Shepherd and the Cook. Yeah, it's st- still a fair bit of interest, and I believe there's a lot of members in this area. I think it could be about over 100, but that don't come to uh, outings. They're interested in being a member and also. Um, Bird Life put out a quarterly magazine which is really a high standard. We were talking about magazines that cover birds and Don mentioned Bird Life Australia. T- tell me, have you seen a Plains Wanderer? I have. Um, I went with a guy by the name of Phil Maher from Daniloquin who's been doing Plains Wanderers tours now for 42 years. He has an agreement with a property owner, north of Daniloquin, to take tours, and he also um, helps them out financially with the tours. And one of the members of the property has become a very keen bird watcher himself. So, so yeah, I went on one of those um, spotlight tour at night time. I'd read a while back that the Plains Wanderers were in a bit of trouble because of climate change. Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's across the board, not yeah. just planes wonders. Yeah. Um, it's probably less than a thousand of them. Of planes wanderers? Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, the other stronghold is um, the grassland sections of Terek Terek National Park, Midiama. So I did have the excitement of uh, going out with Phil that night. I was sitting in the back seat, and Phil's got a really good setup. He's got spotlights out the front of the vehicle and spotlights out the side, so the people in the back seat are not disadvantaged as mm. you might expect against the person being in the front. And uh, so I was sitting in the back, and I said to Phil, um, this plane's wonder he's got a, a band on its leg. And he knew I was a former bird bander. And he said, oh, no, we've, we haven't banded here for 10 or 12 years. This is 2017. Mm. And I thought, oh, I better shut my mouth. <laughs> I'm looking at it again, and it was just shining bright. And I said, hey, Phil, you better stop and have a look at this bird. So he 
turned around and looked at it in his binoculars, and oh, he got very excited. Mm-hmm. He said, well, it's not one of ours. We haven't banded them for 12 years. It's probably a bird wouldn't live that long. So to cut a long story short, it was actually banded at Mitiamo at Terek Terek about 10 months earlier. And it was the first bird recorded travelling interstate either way. Mm. So so he was rather excited that I <laughs> insisted that he have a look at this bird. And <laughs> well, so it proved that they will move distances between um, habitat they prefer. So, so they've gone from a past Deniliquin to Midiamo? No, Midiamo to Deniliquin. Oh, think. okay, yeah, yeah. yeah so, um, yeah, That's it was the first record of any movement. Yeah, so mm. just sheer luck. Don, I don't have any other real questions. Is there anything else you would like to say? Um. I am so uh, disappointed with our politicians from probably early 2000. Um, I think Kevin Rudd tried to get a bit of a policy going. The anti-lobby uh, got rid of him and then I thought Malcolm Turnbull might have a bit of a go. And the anti-lobby got rid of him and fortunately at this election um, the environment's come out on top but whether it'll change the uh, national party I don't know yeah. mm. uh, I think it's the voters are clearly said that they're sick of inaction on climate change and, and um, mm. that's why all these teal people got in yeah, yeah, they certainly did. Yeah, very disappointed that our mayor is standing for the national party. You are disappointed. Oh yeah, because I think they're an archaic party. Probably when history we look back, we might be here, but fifty years on with history, they look back and think, why wasn't something done earlier? Even even back from nineteen seventy onwards. Because that's when, that's when it was really, um, really coming forward. Yeah, we could have done, yeah. could have done something. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. I'll put links to those organisations you mentioned in the show notes. Again, thanks. Climate Conversations is published with the support of the Mark Spencer published Climactic Collective. And it's just one of more than 20 podcasts making up that collective. More about the collective and the associated podcasts can be found at climactic.fm. Music for Climate Conversations is from the Melbourne-based group Music for a Warming World. You can find a link to that group in the episode notes. Responsibility for Climate Conversations rests with me. But you could help with the questions. And if there is something specific that needs addressing... But the question is not being asked of whom it should be asked. Please make a suggestion and send it to r.mclean, the number seven, at icloud.com. Earlier episodes of Climate Conversation can be found at the Climactic website. Simply search for climactic.fm. Go to the Climate Conversations artwork, click on that, 
and there you will find all the other episodes. Beyond that, in all this climate chaos, remember just a few things. Put your faith in genuine climate science. Also, action is the best antidote to despair, and that, I must add, is one of the drivers of this podcast. And remember, be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. That ends this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company, and until we talk again, please take care. Thank you.